before dawn, milk cows work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And today is the day when Leonora comes on to uh, talk about her literary corner. We're going to do that at the end of the show. But welcome to The Scott Adams Show, Leonora. Um, so it's great to be here. And today we are going to... Leonora Cravota, I should say. Yeah. Yes, Leonora Cravota. <laughs> we are going to talk about the writer John O'Hara, which is apropos because we are going into the weekend known as St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that's right. It's St. Patrick's Day weekend where the Chicago River is green. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently, there's a big event in Savannah, Georgia, and New York, of course, celebrates it in a big way. And let's not forget, um, the weekend also includes St. Joseph's Day. And And, And that's when people eat Italian pastries. And is that any connection with your father? Because, well, my father, uh, he was my father, the Ides of March. My father died on the Ides of March, and, and he was buried on Saint Joseph's Day. And my father's name was Joseph, as was my grandfather, as was my, as is my brothers, and technically my sisters as well. So uh, yeah. <laughs> she's Josephine. So we have a lot of yeah. jo- we have a lot of Josephs. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. and I, I kind of knew all that, but I, or, you know, the details. Help my memory. But there. what you can remember, though, is the cannolis. You love that line about uh, keep the, Le- leave the gun, keep the cannoli, or was it something yeah. like that. <laughs> leave the gun, take the cannoli. Take the cannoli. I was close enough. Yeah. Um, that was the Godfather. Godfather one. Yeah. Um, every guy knows a couple of lines from the Godfather, right? Exactly. Um, all right. So you know that we're in trouble, folks, when Washington, D.C., it's official. It's official. Washington, D.C. now allows voting by illegals, green card holders, and foreign nationals. I was surprised the other day when there was a committee hearing, and there was a really pretty black woman, but yet she was very radically left Mm -hmm. and didn't want to get to the truth, and she wanted to obstruct the truth, and turns out she was a congresswoman from the U.S. Virgin Islands. I didn't know we had that. Yeah. Well, they do vote the U.S. Virgin Islands. No, no, no. But a congresswoman? Congresswoman uh, 
from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Well, I guess we must have them. I mean, I, we don't hear about them that often. I mean, but that's we where have, she's from. Her last name's Pinkett. No, no, we we actually do have these people, but you you know you you never hear about them. You you know when you hear about these uh, areas, you hear about them when the election is taking place and the territories are and all coming what, in and the voting. Polls. And they're all liberal. Of course, like they're all Samoan, liberal. Uh, the, 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 the Samoan uh, region that they want to add two senators from, or Puerto Rico, um, the, where they want to add two senators mm-hmm. from, or Washington D.C., where they want to pack the Senate. Um, they're all liberal. They're they're one thousand percent liberal. Like they make yeah. they make Chuck Schumer look like a conservative. Yeah, you know they're just radical socialists, commies, and we want. The Democrats want to bring them into the fold mm-hmm. and trash our Constitution. I mean, it's absolutely insane that my Democrat friends who vote for this crap over and over again can't see the forest from the trees. Well, you and said they, that. They stand, there, they stand there and they say, my Democrat friends I'm talking about, they stand there and they say that they care about the Constitution. And you'll see Democrat congressmen and senators talking about democracy. It never, never matter mm-hmm. that, you know, we always get corrected. It's a republic. But we understand that. But they're always saying it's a democracy. And, and that's why we're giving up all this money to Ukraine for, in the name of democracy. Well, it turns out that the Azov Battalion, the racist white supremacist um, Nazi group that Ukraine cultivates mm-hmm. what was basically involved with the J6 attack infiltration of a Trump rally that was organized to protest wait for it what, they, were, they were trying to protest election fraud mm-hmm. they were promoting election integrity and all these video clips are coming out saying, not only suggesting that Epps was, you know, an informant. Epps won't talk to anybody. Epps had a big mouth on J6, but Epps has remained silent everywhere else. He has this huge ranch. The guy's a millionaire on steroids. And somehow, you know, the FBI... It's protecting him, and so is Adam Kinzinger when he was in Congress and so on and so forth. But it's game over. If we're going to be giving $5 million to a black person because of slavery that nobody in California endorsed ever in their history, California was never a slave state. They yeah. were exempt from it. Yeah. Yet a California that's already paying high enough taxes is going to have to pay... I guess it's about $600,000 per San Franciscan. And I said, never ever live in a place, never live in a place where you have to pay reparations for a crime you didn't commit. Yeah. And that there was no victim living. And, you know, if we get down that slippery slope of generations, I happen to be a Native American Indian. I'm sure I could get a lobby group together and give me some money. But I wouldn't do that because it's just such a disgusting thing. Yeah. I saw this black um, spokesperson saying, uh, outraged by it, saying, what are you trying to say? That black people can't compete? That we need a handout to survive? It's, it's, it's embarrassing 
It is. Yeah. There are so many great black people and leaders. Please believe me. There's not a racist bone in my body, but come on, man. You got to stop this radical socialist redistribution of wealth that's dividing our country. It's as simple as that. If the Native American Indians started doing this bull crap, I would get I would I would stand up against it. And well, you even should. if I was the ben- even if I was going to be a benefactor of it, I would stand up against it because it's not right. Jeez, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, and believe me, I'm not one, uh, <laughs> to figure this out, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm far from a rocket scientist. Trust me, but I have common sense. That's why I like that Knowles guy. Um, he was uh, in the committee, and they said they were trying to say. Um, so they were trying to suggest he wasn't. He didn't have his uh, degree in medicine to talk about the gen, gen, genital mutilization of children. He said, "But I have a common sense, and I have a brain, and I know how to read. Right? And I read my this, research. And it's and disgusting. this just sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you're doomed when you got the the capital of our country." Saying now they're, they're now allowing voter voting by and New York is going to be next and California is going to be next. And this is what they're trying to do. This is trying. This is what they're trying to do. This article it says it's official. Washington, D.C. now allows voting by illegals, green card holders and foreign nationals. Several national grassroots organizations on Monday joined America for Citizen Voting to voice opposition to the new law. Local resident voting rights that allows non-citizens to vote in D.C.'s elections. So here's what I say. I said it about um, reparations. If your city is engaged in reparations, Mm -hmm. move the heck out of that city. Remove yourself from that tax base and don't give them a penny of your money. Not one penny. And I'm going to say the same thing about this. I'm going to say if they're going to allow for elected leaders to be elected by non-citizens... Move out of the city and just allow them to eat themselves because that's it, that's eventually what will happen. They will become a third world state within a state. They will become a third world city within a state. And they could kill each other all you want. They could defund their police. They could live in the slums. They could live among the heroin addicts. They could have their little crack zones. And they can do whatever they want. They can teach their kids all kinds of trans, whatever it is. But move out of their school district, move out of their tax base, and move out of their city. And Chicago, it's already happening. San Francisco, it's happening. Washington, D.C., it's happening. All these woke cities are losing their population. All the good people are leaving, and all the trash is still there, Mm -hmm. left behind. I feel sorry for them, but they voted for this. Because they allowed themselves, weak-mindedly, they allowed themselves to be conned by these politicians. And this is the way our country is going to go if we're not careful. Right. We're going to read the brochure. We're going to get fallen into a trap. And all of these things are happening amongst us um, uh, right before our eyes. I say they're allowing, they want to defund the police to allow high crime so that you get, they could push digital currency. If you don't want crime, then don't walk around with money. That's not the way it used to be. You used to be able to walk around with your own money. Yeah. And you, you had a police force that would create law and order on the streets. We used to say no to drugs. Remember yeah. the frying pan? Yep. 
But now you can't even afford the egg in the frying pan. You know, the only thing you can afford, uh, the only thing you can afford is the drugs. Yeah, that's right. Because they're giving them away Uh, because we don't want uh, addicts shaking on the streets. It's absolutely absurd. It's flipped upside down. And again, I say shame on my Democrat friends. I have a lot of friends that are Democrats and I don't. I don't well, know why. Well, that's how we have the majority of but, our friends is because they're <laughs> Democrats, although we have some Republican but, but friends. I, you know, my friends, I've sat down, I've had beers with these guys, I've, and they're liberal. And you're like, one of them's a union worker, one, a couple are, you know, um, very professional, successful. But they're often PhDs. the children of union workers. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Not, not these really elite people, you know, mm-hmm. you know like... Uh, well, anyway. Like, uh, yeah, and let's not mention names. <laughs> yeah, of course not. But a lot of people, you know, and you just wonder, how is it that you can bring yourself to voting for this stuff? Don't you see the, don't you, aren't you the driver, that, you know, don't you want to be the driver that looks three cars down to see if there's an accident occurring? Yeah. You know, and then pump the brakes? You know, at some point, you can't just, you know, you can't just be so in the moment that you can't see where this is all going. There's a strategy and a plan for all of this. You can't just believe what they tell you. Oh, um, carbon, carbon footprint. That's a good idea. Save the environment. When there's no proof that any of these changes and modifications to um, energy are having any impact whatsoever on the environment. And Leonard Nimoy talked about the Ice Age in 79, that we would be a desert by 2000. Uh, Greta Thunberg said that by 2023, we would be wiped off the face of the earth. And you can go on and on with Al Gore and everybody else. They're all wrong all the time, yet they still get the platform, they still get the mic, and they're still talking about it. Meanwhile, we got another ruse going on with the housing crisis. It turns out that they don't want regional banks anymore. And this was the plan all along. Although uh, Republic Bank is being bailed out. Yeah, but that's because there's a lot of pushback. 11 um, banks are uh, pledging $30 billion in deposits to First Republic Bank. Look who's on the board of these banks, though. Yeah. Okay, these are woke banks. Yeah. And, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, they were all radical lefties. I think Obama was on the board. Hillary, uh, the Clintons were had board members. And they were basic, and Gavin Newsom, of course, was corrupt. Yes, of course. In bed with the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, hiding vineyard money, you know, in the bank and stuff like that. And yeah, of course, they're going to bail themselves out. Are they going to bail out anybody from the East Palestine? I don't think yeah, so. Did they poison them to death? No. So it's, you know, two different standards of, of, of business. But just in, European, this is from just in yesterday. But European Central Bank raised interest rates by two, two basis points, 0.5, not 0.25, but 0.5, to 3.5%. Now, think about this for a second. Credit Suisse is, is really struggling. Now, they got a bailout. They did get a bailout of like $54 billion where they were bailed out. But they're... Um, Raising the rates, and they know this is creating pressure yeah. on banks of that size and magnitude. So, you know, the question remains, will Jerome Powell and the Fed, uh, I guess it's around March 21st or something mm-hmm. they're going to meet, yeah. March 21st, 22nd. Um, well, that's early next week. Yeah. So they're going to meet. 
and they're going to get together and they're going to decide whether to raise. I think that they wanted to raise 0.5 to really get inflation down to 2%, right? But now, you know, with the uh, collapse of the regional banks, uh, the pressure, you know, on these banks because they're having to sell assets because of uh, run on the banks, uh, it's, it's a very volatile time for banking. And so they want to avoid... We listened to this uh, home guy from Home Depot yesterday. He said, there's really no easy way out of this mess that they created. And remember when Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell were saying it's transitory? Yeah. And they were all wrong about that. We they all knew on the right. They were wrong. We all, all the conservatives knew that this was not transitory. And so you got to look at it and you've got to say two things are going on here. One... They might want to boost the housing market so they could drive, um, they, 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 could, they could halt on the, um, uh, the Fed rate hike and save the banks and basically cause a little bit more inflation and liquidity and, get, uh, and, and, and uh, stimulate the housing market. Or they could raise the rates, do the right thing, get inflation down so that middle class America can afford mm-hmm. eggs and, and, and milk and flour again and gas but none of this is going in the right direction because then there's another tea leaf that says that uh that uh, they they don't care about regional banks and the guy the guy named kevin o'leary has been a leading spokesperson on this and we're going to play some clips about this kevin o'leary was the ftx sam bankman fried spokesperson mm-hmm. who vouched for sam bankman fried and vouched for FTX right before it collapsed. He's like the Kramer of crypto. And yet he's on, not only was he on Tucker last night, um, he's, he's been on Fox and Friends. He's all over Fox. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, when I listen to him speak, I don't disagree with much of what he says, except for the fact that he was in bed with Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, and to me, that's a big no-no. He was a spokesperson. He got paid $15 million to be a spokesperson for FTX to basically push a currency that he must have known was going to collapse. The guy is super successful. So you wonder then what this ruse is, because a lot of these con artists aren't, aren't that bad at it. You know what I mean? They're really good con artists. Yes, they're good con artists. I mean, they're not going to come out and they're not playing checkers. They're playing chess. And so you got to, you just got to look at the net result. And the net result is the things that this guy has touched, he has made money and everybody else lost. Does that make that guy a good guy? No, it does not. No matter what good things he says, it doesn't make the guy a good guy if he's constantly winning and everybody else is losing at, at everybody at everyone else's expense. See, that to me is not looking out for your neighbor. But uh, it is interesting that the European the European Central Bank raising it 0.5 points might tell the Fed it's okay to green light a rate hike. So that's why that data is important because. I think if Jerome Powell needed any bit of courage to keep on the right course, which is to raise rates to slow the inflation, um, that would be it. And, and I think he's going to look to that. 
and say, well, if they did it, I can do it, and then I don't look so dumb. But if they do it and they have a good win and I don't do it and our economy collapses, then I'm going to be blamed for it. But there's the other part that if he raises rates, I think secretly there might be something to this this um, narrative or this rumor that the 5,000 regional banks, we don't need so many. So Kevin O'Leary is one of the chief spokespersons. He sounds like a conservative a little bit. And you're going to hear a clip that says showcases that. But I also don't think he is. Or he wouldn't have been in bed with Sam Bankman-Fried. Um, and he wouldn't have been, you know, been part of that project. So I, I don't know how you slice him. But I will say this, that he is calling for the end of regional banks. He says, we don't need them. He says, online banking is the way to go. He believes in central, central banks, central banking, uh, digital currency, CBDCs. So pay attention to what's going on here because this is the new frontier. And I don't see how we stop it, Leonora. I, I mean, don't I don't see how we stop automation, especially with inflation. You're going to have automation. Inflation gives you automation because... Yep. What happens is you're going to need a minimum wage. Already we learned that you know Biden in his new stimulus package spent budget is giving a five point something percent increase in pay to all government employees. Well, that's going to stimulate the economy through government spending. Again, Biden keeps on throwing money into the economy without a lot of supplemental uh, buildup to the supply side. See, everybody's talking about more money, higher minimum wage, uh, pay increases to keep in pace with inflation. But that's going to do nothing to take inflation down. That's the problem. We're not investing in our supply side. Now, the globalists might argue, well, we are trying to, you know, basically use the slave labor in China and India uh, to increase, increase supply. Because in no way, no how can we have manufacturing compete in America with the unions, the, the demands, and with the high wages. Nobody's going to want to ever do the uh, manual labor jobs when there's such a disparity in pay. You got a burger flipper making $25 an hour now, or $21 an hour. Is Which is ludicrous. Yeah, so... The next thing you know, you're going to have an electric arm that's going to flip the burger, and it's going to be in an automation, right? There are going to be robots and of all kinds. You're going to have kiosks. You're going to have QR codes, and you're going to have digital currency. And that's where this is all going. And well, it's already starting. When you go into CVSs and places like that, you're doing uh, you're doing your own it's check. At, it's all self serve, and um, the only, you only get help if uh, you accidentally press the help button. Remember when we went to see Maverick? Yeah, uh, you know the movie. Yeah. And I was floored and dumbfounded. I was also in a train station at a uh, Wendy's, I think it yeah. was, where they they have the you get to get a soda, and so then what happens is you just scan the QR code, and up comes this thing on your phone that basically says uh, you get a, like an index number and you put that in, and then you just put put your finger on your phone. And it starts pouring soda out of the dispenser. Yeah. 
You don't even touch the machine. Isn't that amazing? So in the wake of COVID, that's one of the things that they're coming out like we contactless, um, you know, contactless systems. Yeah. So that's the way it's going to be when you go to any McDonald's or anything. There's going to be a robot making the burger and it's all going to be automated. And these people that are demanding $21 an hour are going to be sitting at home with no job. And the housing market is the laggard in the indicators. and I as, are, the, as are the job numbers. Yeah, and we're hearing 18,000 people laid off at Amazon. Amazon just put a halt to their whole investment in Arlington, Virginia, with regard to phase two uh, of their big campus that they were building. They put a stop on it because they don't have the need for the 25,000 employees that they were going to hire. And what a boondog, what a mess that's going to be, Right. And it's across the board. At Facebook, Meta is going out of business. You know, they're going to be going out of business. They are dying at the vine. And Twitter seems to be benefiting from a lot of this. And uh, they're going to probably flourish. But there are so many companies that are bailing. The banking industry is laying off. And a lot of these tech companies are just laying off for a lot of reasons. And even motor companies are laying off. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy out there and it's very volatile. And that's why people are saying, take your money elsewhere. All right. I want to talk a little bit about Ukraine before we get into our audio and video clips. You know, there's all this news. They came out with the video and they basically for the, uh, you know, the drone that got shot down by the Russian plane. And, you know, you listen to Brian Kilmeade and it's like, they blew up a fit just today. He said this. Uh, they blew up a $50 million drone. We should shoot. And then, and then Lindsey Graham yesterday said, we should shoot down three of their jets. Oh, okay. So World War Three, right? Mm-hmm. Over a drone, right? A $50 million drone. And how stupid are we that we had a $50 million drone get shot down, but it wasn't even shot down. So they said, well, Russia lied. We have proof that their um, their fighter jet shot down or, or clipped our our uh, propeller. Well, I saw that video clip and the camera on the drone didn't shake, but they sprayed petroleum on it. They sprayed gas on it and they clogged it up. Um, So they didn't shoot it down and they didn't necessarily make contact. It was the swoosh where they did a drive by that actually rendered it. And then they, I think they jammed it as well. So they said that Russia lied. But the other day I read this earlier in the week. On March 14th, this was posted. What the heck was the USAF MQ-9 Reaper drone doing over there anyway? Russia MOD statement. Okay, so this is their Defense Department statement. The US, (laughs) and I read this a couple of days ago. I'm reading it again to see if Russia was lying. Because I read this before the video came out. U.S. drone flight was recorded in Russia's Crimea region in direction of the Russian border. So the drone was flying into the Crimea area. Flight of the U.S. drone was carried out with the transponders turned off, violating airspace rules. So it was spying. Russia fighter jets were lifted into the air after discovery of a U.S. drone 
Russia fighter jets did not use weapons and did not come into contact with the U.S. drone. So basically it swished it. You know, it, it did a drive-by, a flyby. As a result of sharp maneuvering, the U.S. drone went into a controlled spin, uncontrolled flight. Uh, the U.S. drone went into an uncontrolled flight with a loss of altitude and collided with the water surface. So basically that was Russia's official statement many days ago before the video came out. And when the video comes out, they're basically saying that Russia lied. I don't see where there's a lie in there. Okay, that's number one. Number two, if you take their word for it with regard to the J6 uh, infiltration uh, against the Trump supporters, which wasn't an insurrection at all, we found out that there was a, it was more like a tour. Um, we find that uh, that the Amer- you know America is the one that's lying about J6, what happened on that day. They were lying about the Russian hoax. They lie about things like Jussie Smollett. They lie about all these things to try to make conservatives out to be these white supremacist racists when we know that FBI is dressing up in Trump's support, supporting paraphernalia. Because every... I've been in the business for a long time now, and I've never met a Trump supporter that was a racist. Neither have I. Yeah, I mean, it's just it doesn't exist in my world. And I live in the world. I've been to so many events. It just doesn't exist. And then you got the Biden corrupt crime family. And then you have the COVID experience, right? And we know that they've been wrong about so many things. I have this clip I want to play uh, related to Robert Kennedy Jr. about the Patriot Act the Cheneys, COVID, and Dr. Fauci that's pretty interesting. Now, we already heard that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. earlier in the week, we gave tape, we, we played the tape that said that there was a law, clause, a rule, that said if there was um, therapeutics that would beat COVID, they could never get the emergency order through the FDA approval to, to get these products sold. And it was all about profiteering on the vaccine, pushing the vaccine. And if they said that ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine worked, that they could never get approval because there's a therapeutic that's already working. Well, here's another clip. And this is of Robert Kennedy Jr. doing great work. And he basically says, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has been in charge of developing bioweapons for the Pentagon since 2002. By the way, one of the first people to ever talk about Fauci being part of the Pentagon was me. And that was about six months ago, at least. No, maybe a year ago. I don't know, a long time ago. And you could find it in my uh, sound, uh, um, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. And uh, you could find it by searching Scott Adams Show and Fauci and DOD, and CIA. And what it was, was I I was saying, and it wouldn't be uncommon, it wouldn't be unprecedented, because if you recall, I would always bring up someone like Einstein, who was against the atom bomb, but yet helped develop it. And 
there's been scientists in bed with the Pentagon and the Department of Defense and and the State Department for 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 more than this, you know, probably a century. So this is no different. But they exploited once again the Patriot Act thanks to the Bushes. Let's take a listen. The Pentagon was very worried about actually launching a full-blown bioweapons arms race because they said nobody, you know, this is very sketchy. The Patriot Act, you know, exemptions are very sketchy and people don't even know about it. And so they didn't want to do it. So they took the money that Cheney gave them, $2.2 billion, and they funneled it through NIH. And it all went through Anthony Fauci. So beginning in 2002, Anthony Fauci got a 68% raise from the Pentagon for doing bioweapons development. And he got a raise of billions of dollars a year to do it. And then he started building, doing. that's when they started doing all this gain of function. And then in 2014, three of those bugs escaped in high profile escapes from different labs in the United States. Fauci had built all these new labs at BU at Galveston to do the to do his shenanigans. And so four three of the bugs escaped and they, they received publicity and they had smallpox and a lot of really bad things. And then Congress held hearings on it. Everybody was angry. These bugs escaped and 300 scientists, top scientists, sent letters to Obama saying you've got to shut down Anthony Fauci because he's going to create a pandemic. And so Obama ordered a moratorium. And at that time, Fauci had 18 different uh, gain-of-function experiments he was doing around the United States. But uh, Obama ordered him to shut them all down, but he didn't. He instead moved his stuff offshore to Wuhan, where he could do it out of sight, of these 300 scientists and nosy White House officials who were trying to shut him down. And they continued to do it with Ralph Barrick, the same people he was funding here, Ralph Barrick and Peter Daszak, and they moved their operations to the Wuhan lab. Now think about the year, too. 2014, it ramped up. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly at the same time the Victorian Newland was trying to overthrow the government uh, in Ukraine. And they were setting up, bio, they were entering into a bioweapons race. And who would be, we be racing against? Russia. We would be racing against Russia. And remember, at the time, that they also were talking about Russia using bioweapons. Mm-hmm. Remember Syria. Mm-hmm. They blamed the nerve gas on Syria. Remember when Trump wanted to pull out of Syria? And nobody could figure out why it would be that Russia would try to pull Trump back into Syria. Mm -hmm. But Lindsey Graham was pushing it. We shouldn't leave Syria. We shouldn't leave Syria. And next thing you know, Trump says, no, we're going to pull our troops out of Syria. And we're going to just take a uh, have them oversee the oil oil. And of, that's because Lindsey Graham and John McCain at the time were financing ISIS rebels as mercenaries to watch over the oil pipelines that were going into Europe and Africa. That's, again, why we destabilized Libya and Egypt. And that's why we set up shop in Benghazi. 
And that's what all that was about. And the Clintons and the, the Kerrys and um, everybody was getting rich off of this. And they were using Ukraine as a bioweapons uh, threat to Russia. So when you ask the question, why would Russia be aggressive? It's because we were, it, it would be like Russia setting up a bioweapons race on the border of Mexico. And incidentally, the open border we have found is letting an unprecedented number of what they're calling now ISIS-K. It's ISIS-Afghanistan. Um, Remember when we botched the withdrawal of Afghanistan in August of 2021? Yeah. Under the Biden regime? The people at the State Department are a bunch of morons. They don't know what they're doing. They're corrupting Ukraine. They're creating these crises. They're creating these wars. They're, they're, a lot of people are losing their lives in Afghanistan, in Ukraine, in Russia, in all these other places. And you just wonder, what morons are running the show over there? But it's Victoria Newland having her hands in a lot of this stuff. The CIA doing underhanded business with the politicians. You're using, using USAID. Why do you think Samantha Power is the head of USAID? She was the one that unmasked all these people in the Trump transition team, mm-hmm. trying to sabotage the next presidency. Samantha Power. Susan Rice lied through her teeth about Benghazi. This is all an Obama thing. And the people working in the State Department are too stupid to realize that there's a bunch of self-serving interests that are corrupting every aspect of our foreign policy. It's insane. And the U.S. the, the bioweapons in Ukraine are a big part of why it is that Russia is doing what they're doing. Nord Stream 2 is another strategic part because don't think for one second that the conflict is not an economic one. It is. And here's the problem. We're being outplayed on that front too by a major stretch. Russia is the benefactor of this banking collapse. Why? Because we sanctioned them. Russia is so cut off from the international financial system that the Kremlin thinks Western sanctions have insured the country against the banking crisis. How great is that for Russia? How stupid are we? How about this? BRICS countries overtake G7 in share of the world GDP. They're ahead of G7. They're stronger than G7. And guess who cultivated that relationship? The State Department and our country's leadership, U.S. leadership. What did Trump want to do? Trump wanted to bring Russia into the G8. That would have created leverage over China. That would have isolated China, our biggest threat. But no, they said no to that because there was a lot of money to be made with the oil pipelines going into Europe and Africa. And there is a lot to be money to be made in the laundering schemes of Ukraine. And there was a tr- strategic interest to exploit the bioweapons in Ukraine. And it's interesting when you think about it, how boneheadedly stupid people like Lindsey Graham truly are. And the, his allies like the Bidens and the Obamas. That's what was happening there. That's exactly because Trump wanted to bring his enemies closer. He wanted to bring Russia into G8. And by doing that, 
Russia wouldn't have had that partner. I mean, China wouldn't have not have had that partnership. And it would have been a really great strategic move to make, you know, basically economic carrots to create peace rather than um, the sticks that we're experiencing now and the division that the Democrats are so famous for. It's a shame that we have this type of leadership. Here's a parody that I think is just drives it home. Thank you, stupid and lazy Americans, for your support of this totally unnecessary and intentionally started war with Russia. Thank you for ignoring the fact that Ukraine is the number one most corrupt country in the world with a history of being the money laundering epicenter for corrupt governments around the world. I know you already sent me $100 billion of your tax money, but I need more. After I sent $50 billion to Sam Bankman-Fried through FTX to pay kickbacks to all of the congressmen and senators in USA, I only have $50 billion left. Starting World War III with Russia was my idea. It was one of my campaign promises in 2016, but then our election rigging wasn't good enough and stupid Trump made us wait four whole years without any wars. Tanks, guns, drones, we need to kill more babies, more money, Russia, China, spy balloons. I eat, sleep, and dream about war and killing 24-7. We always have great bipartisan support for wars and spending taxpayers' money because we all get stanky rich from the wars. Ha, 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 ha. Chucky Shumi and I have been in Congress for centuries, sucking off the taxpayer teat. First, we sucked the stock market dry with our insider trading, making hundreds of millions. Then we launder billions through Ukraine to support the war. Ha ha. How do you think we all became super rich? Good thing we totally rigged all the elections so we can never lose. Yeah. <laughs> True intermash potato pressure. I will see you on Mars. <laughs> it's funnier if you can actually see the graphics. Yeah, well, it's, it's a bunch of parody. Um, all right. So while Germany is imposing sanctions on Russia, along with the West, uh, uh, Russia is surpassing Germany's in GDP for the first time in a long time. So Russia is a bigger GDP that, than Germany, and they're about to surpass Japan. And that would put them in fourth place behind India, China, India, United States, and China. So China's GDP 2022 was $31.5 billion. Or, yeah, I think something like that, or trillion. Um, United States, 22.9 trillion. India, 15.8 trillion. Japan, 5.7 trillion. Russia, 5.4 trillion. I think Russia's going to, with their alliance with China, is going to surpass. Their new oil deals with China is going to surpass. And I said this, $100 billion has been sent to Ukraine more than Russia's annual military budget. And Ukraine finds itself out of bullets. Obviously, this is as corrupt as when we learned that voter turnout is 110%. Their plan is to start a hot war to silence dissent and investigations against Joe Biden. Um, which, incidentally, new wrinkle, Bo Biden, who died. Yes. Haley, his, his widow. Yes. That Hunter Biden was sleeping with. Yes. Got three million dollars advance from China in increments. In increment, no, he got three million. Yeah, and he then sent out in increments thirty-five thousand dollar payments to Haley. Yeah, um, and uh, naturally you would do that. Like if you fell into like ten million dollars because he got three and a half million from the mayor of Moscow too. So they just take these millions as gifts 
for you know laundering information and basically then or selling paintings right <laughs> to china no less um then what happens is they turn around they give a little bit of money back especially if you have a um good-looking sister-in-law that became a widow to your brother who died of cancer and she comes for the money and you basically have sex with her because isn't that what hunter did did Hunter Hunter got involved in a relationship with Haley? Now it okay. is not uncommon. After uh, it, it, this has been happening, that's a whole for, new, that's a whole nother level of pay to play. No, right it's there. a whole another level of pay to play. But it, it's not uncommon over many generations for if somebody yeah. becomes widowed, a brother to get involved. But but in this case, the brother was already involved with a bunch of other women, and, so. and the widow was getting thirty five thousand dollars a pop. Uh, well. <laughs> All right. Let me just let me to just not continue. to put too fine yeah. a point on it. Yeah. Here, here we go. So this is Tucker Carlson um, asked where all the money uh, was sent, sending to Ukraine is going. So let's, uh, okay. let's listen. So leaving aside the fact, the dead certain fact that the U.S. military probably should have enough of its own ammunition. Now they're all invoking Ronald Reagan. Remember, peace through superior firepower. Weakness invites aggression. Speaking of weakness. The U.S. military increasingly is weak, and part of the reason, there are a number of reasons, but one of them is we're sending all the stuff to Ukraine. So there's the military question that no one seems to have answered, but there's also an economic question. Where's all the money going? So we've spent more than Russia's typical annual military budget in Ukraine, and yet the Ukrainian military is out of ammunition again? Okay, that might be a question for Zelensky. Where's all the money going? You're on the phone with BlackRock all day. Where's all the money going? People are getting very rich. You can't have an audit because if you want an audit of where your money is going into the most corrupt country in Europe, you're a tool of Putin. Okay. So leaving aside the fact, the dead certain fact that the U.S. military right. probably should. Okay, that's, uh, that looped. Um, I, have, uh, I have so many other clips, too. Uh, we have this clip from Ray Epps, but... It doesn't translate well. They basically hijack Ray Epps, and he just runs off in his golf cart and uh, hides from the press. Uh, I have another clip where Tucker explains that the January 6th tapes contain evidence of federal agent influence. And basically he said, you know, there's so many things he could say with regard to, you know, he has ironclad proof, ironclad that the FBI infiltrated J6. But he's not allowed to say certain things. But once McCarthy makes good, hopefully he makes good, on releasing the tape to the citizens who own the tape, uh, the tape and the video, then there's going to be even a lot more reveal. Um, But uh, uh, we don't really have enough time for all of these clips. I wanted to say this. Um... Uh, I wanted to also talk about, you know, we opened up with Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary is this billionaire that basically got in bed as a paid spokesperson for FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, who's now pushing for the end of regional banking. We don't need the regional banks. Uh, To me, that may have been the plan all along. And with that, we are going to now switch over and... Uh, as we promised, and uh, we're going to do the Literary Corner every Friday. So today, we're going to talk about John O'Hare. 
Yes, we're going to talk about John O'Hara. And John O'Hara is a writer who is exceptionally prolific, but we don't talk about him as much as we talk about, say, Fitzgerald or Hemingway. And I wrote a piece about John O'Hara four years ago for the American Conservative. And why haven't I written about John O'Hara since then? There hasn't been a real impetus because there hasn't been another movie or another television show or, or some type of fan fiction book. So that's kind of the reason why I haven't written about him. But I think he's such a wonderful writer that I thought it was important to talk about him. And I'm going to read aloud to you from an article that I wrote ago, and it's called John O'Hara, the novelist whose conservatism robbed him of fame. John, o- John O'Hara was a prolific and recognized author until his support for Barry Goldwater changed everything. So this is the uh, first paragraph of the article. John O'Hara, 1905 to 1970, published 374 short stories, 14 novels, seven of them bestsellers, and five plays in his four-decade writing career, a body of work unsurpassed in American literature in scope and fidelity to American life, according to biographer Matthew J. Bercoli in The O'Hara Concern, which was published in 1975. A master social writer, O'Hara influenced the work of his contemporaries, including F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, and William Faulkner, and future writers, including John Updike, Tom Wolfe, and J.D. Salinger, advanced the development of the American short story, had an extensive career as a reporter and screenplay writer, plus five of his novels were adapted into major motion pictures headlined by stars. At the apex of his popularity in the mid-60s, his books had sold 15 million copies and been translated into 20 languages. Yet today, he is largely unknown outside of academic circles. How did such a talented, prolific writer fall off of our radar, and did his 1964 conversion from liberal to conservative have anything to do with it? So that's a mouthful. And then he he also did uh, the movie, he wrote the movie Butterfly. Well, well I just was saying yeah, that. Yeah, four, yeah. four of his... Um, Four, five of his novels be, were made into major motion pictures headlined by stars. One so he of which, was a bit of a conservative. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what happened. Um, and my my theory is, as I just said, he wrote you know he wrote fourteen novels. He wrote almost four hundred short stories. He virtually invented the short story at the New Yorker. He, he, he was a journalist. He was a screenplay writer. He was exceptionally well known. When the when his films came out. If you put a tagline in there saying, based on the novel by John O'Hara, that helped sell the film. Yet in 1964, he supported Barry Goldwater. And he had been a liberal, but then he had some type of epiphany where he started moving towards the right. And Scott, what was interesting about this, he was moving towards the right, just as everybody else was moving towards the left. Hmm. So at the point where he should have been taking his rightful place in terms of being recognized from a literary perspective, being recognized by Hollywood, being recognized by academia, uh, everybody was going left. And so it's interesting. To what think, year was that? Uh, Sixty-four. So that 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 was in the wake of the McCarthyism, exactly. And, and then the Hollywood um, basically pushing this communism thing, and communists were victims of McCarthyism. Boy, I tell you what, I would like me some McCarthyism today. Well, exactly. And and to your point, I'm just going to mention the names of his books that became uh, movies: Pal Joey, 1957, with Frank Sinatra. 
and Rita Hayworth. Uh, 10 North Frederick with Gary Cooper from the Terrace with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, where, as I said a moment ago, the words based on the novel of John O'Hara helped sell the film in addition to the two huge stars. Butterfield 8 with Elizabeth Taylor. She won the Best Actress Oscar for that. And then then also there was the film A Rage to Live starring Suzanne Plachette. But that came out in 1965. And by then his uh, star was already beginning to fall. But then, you know, in all this time, you have to, his books and his short stories were so well written. They had this uniqueness about them. He, his characters were kind of edgy. They'd been around. They, you know, and, and he could do something so simple with a turn of phrase by how he talked about a fraternity pin or he talked about the way the shutters were arranged that you would immediately know somebody's social class within just a few moments of dialogue. And and that was his strength. He was a great dialogue writer, and he wrote these huge novels, but he also wrote these beautiful uh, satiric short stories. So I think, and this is what I called for in my article, that this would be a wonderful time to just bring back John O'Hara. We could be making all types of movies about him. So I'm just going to conclude my comments by reading what it says on uh, John O'Hara's tombstone. And these are his own words. Better than anyone else, he told the truth about his time. He was a professional. He wrote honestly and well. And then here's my comment to his to O'Hara's comment. While some might take umbrage with O'Hara's hubris, his candor is refreshing. Hmm. What are you working on these days? Oh, and I have one more thing I have in common oh, with John O'Hara. Okay. What's that? His birthday. It's this not the year, obviously, but it's the same day as mine. Oh, that's great. Yeah, January 31st. All right. Yes. Aquarius. Yeah, of course. What am I working on these days? Well, everybody should go to Spectator. You can go to American Conservative and find my article about John O'Hara. But you should also go to spectator.org, where I write for now. And you can find my most recent article about Hollywood, about the Oscars. And I am working on uh, I am working on a few pieces right now. I'm working on an article uh, about two education books that I'm reviewing for our print magazine, and I am also going to be writing something about Thoreau that will be coming soon as well. Wow, excellent! Thank you for that, and uh, I feel smarter and more literary. So that's great. Well, that was the intention. No, actually, yeah. what the intention was to <laughs> remind people about great writers. And that's yeah. the whole point of this series. I think we need a little bit more of that. You know, I, I really do. And that's why we're doing it. Uh, every Friday at the end of the show, we do Literary Corner. And we're going to continue to do it. I, I think it's refreshing. Um, but with that, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org. To find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again. Also, use Red State over at MyPillow. Red State as your promo code over at MyPillow.com. And with that, my name's Scott Adams. My name is Leonor Corbota. And we'll see you next time. Just to bury my kids right up to bed.